So good to be here with you this morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Antonio Jones, and I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at Harvest. And look, I'm just glad to be here. Glad to see you all. You look good out there. And um, uh, what a great day it is to continue uh, on this journey that we began last week when um, Jamie introduced our summer series, The Prayers of Paul. He did a great job. And one of the goals that he set out for us is to, as believers, um, to be going through a type of renewal in our own hearts as we pursue God in our pursuit for prayer. That is not about doing more or praying more necessarily than it is for there to be a revival in our own hearts as we pursue God in prayer. But understand this. It's not going to happen magically. You're going to have to do it. And that is the discipline of prayer. So my task this morning is to keep us on that journey in these prayers of Paul as we look to the letter of the Colossians. And so if you don't mind standing for the reading of God's word, grab your Bibles or your devices, or you may look on the screen. And together we're going to read the letter to the Colossian church, beginning with chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And I'll be reading the ESV version. And it says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. That's the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people say, praise be to God. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let me pray for our time. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your will for us to be here this morning. We're thankful for the great privilege we have that when we open up the Bible and begin to read it, you're talking to us. So I pray this morning that you open up our ears and our hearts to receive your word as a seed that may be planted in the fertile ground of our hearts. And our hope is that it grows. We pray that you will be glorified in this moment and that we, your people, may be edified in you. It's in Christ we pray. In your heart say, amen. The Apostle Paul is a man of prayer. So today, we look at one of many of the prayers of Paul when he prayed seeking the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of the church, specifically today, the church at Colossae. Here we find him praying for the Colossian church, a people of which he has never met. Colossae was a city located in the Lycus River Valley in Phrygia, 
what is now modern-day Turkey. And there was this small remnant of believers from this house church that was planted by Epaphras, one of Paul's beloved co-workers in the faith. So the Apostle Paul, while in prison or under house arrest, received news about the church at Colossae. It was both good news and bad news. The good news is that Paul was pleased to know of their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for the saints. But he was also pleased with the fact that there was change happening in their own lives according to this glorious gospel of grace. But there was also troubling news. Some heresies were circulating among the church and these false teachers were promoting error about the person of Jesus Christ, denying the deity and humanity of Christ, which is to say he was not fully human, nor was he fully God, claiming that he was just one of many emanations of God. These fallacies began to slip into the church and presented alongside Christ as if Christ was not enough. And as a result, these new believers at Colossae are now confronted with the confusion about the Christian life, the church, and the gospel as a whole. And Paul, upon receiving this news, decided to write a letter to the church exalting the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ. His desire is to ultimately make a declaration of the truth that is, to remind these believers of the preeminence of Christ, that Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation, and there is no other. In verses 1 and 2, Paul greets the church. And in verses 3 through 8, he thanks God for the church. And in verses 9 through 14, where we will be this morning, Paul prays for the church. See, Paul is on mission to do the very thing he's done for many other believers and for many other churches. He prays. And I know we're a church of believers, but I don't want to be careful not to assume that everyone here understands the biblical definition of prayer. So I provide us one. Prayer, according to Mounts' expository dictionary, defines it as a noun and in the Greek, the word pilia, which is common word used for prayer, intercession, petition. It is also related to the verb palau, which means pray. A prayer goes all the way back to the first ages of man. When we look at Abraham, for an example, Abraham was the friend of God and believed strongly in prayer. And he was the first to erect an altar to gather and intercede on behalf of his household. And so Abraham would gather his entire family, and they would offer sacrifices of praise and worship and prayer. Moses prayed regularly on behalf of the children of Israel that they might be delivered from the bondages of slavery and into the liberation God has set out for them in a land flowing with milk and honey. And Noah prayed to the building of an ark. The writer of Psalm 4 requests deliverance from his enemies when he says, answer me when I call to you. O my righteous God, give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer, he says. 
And in Psalms 102, the author prays and requests God's assistance in regard to unexplained suffering. And I'm wondering, is there anyone here who's ever had to pray a prayer while suffering? James 5 verse 13 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. But here in the New Testament, the Greek word deesis, meaning prayer, petition, supplication based on a person's need in the New Testament is always addressed to God. It is not a general word for prayer, but specifically a word for supplication. Supplication is a request for a need, usually an urgent request. And in another definition, supplication is an act of begging or asking humbly. In Luke 1.13, this, this noun is used for Zechariah's prayer for Baron Elizabeth. Anna prays for the long-awaited Messiah child in Luke chapter 2, verse 37. Or the Philippians' prayer for Paul in Philippians 1 and 19. And what of Jesus, who sometimes spent an entire night in prayer according to the gospel of Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 9 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. In 1 Peter 3.12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Harvest Church, the eyes of the Lord are on you. And his ears are undistracted to your prayers. What we learn here is that prayer is essential in our communication with God. So when we look at our text this morning, we find in verse 9 through 14, Paul is praying for this church, prayers of thanksgiving and of petition and supplication. And when you take a look at either side of the motivation behind Paul's praying for this church, whether you examine the good or the bad, the big idea here is that he prays. Verse 9, Paul has heard about the Colossians' spiritual development, which is reflected in verses 3 through 8. When you go back, please read that. And because of that, it says Paul doesn't cease praying for them. He won't stop. So Paul is writing this letter and is pleased to celebrate all that is going well with the Colossians. So this is a prayer of thanksgiving. He highlights the things he is thankful for with them, for their faith, their hope, and love. And this is language that we are familiar with because we heard the the Apostle Paul pen these words before in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 13. He says, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So here... We see the love 
that Paul has is evident for this church at Colossae. And this prayer of thanksgiving and of petition and supplication for the church at Colossae leads us to our very first point. And that's Paul's desire for the Colossians is that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Verses 9 and 10, he prays the church would come into full knowledge of God's will. And that this knowledge of God's will may be accompanied by wisdom and spiritual understanding. So the hope here is that they will fully grasp or comprehend the knowledge of God's will. D.A. Carson states, the knowledge or perception of God's will consists of all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So Ephesians 1.17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And this word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. It is where we get our English word apocalypse, and it means revelation, something that has been or will be revealed. What that means is that it is by the Spirit of God that wisdom and spiritual understanding of his will is revealed. It is by his Spirit. So what is God's will? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus for you. So here, 1 Thessalonians is teaching us that the will of God is for us to be thankful. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So God's will here is that we be transformed, but even this cannot happen without prayer. So Paul's prayer is that the Colossians would be filled with this knowledge and revelation of God's will. But this is a critical point in the life of this young church because they are under the pressure of their current pagan surroundings and could very well fall into the proclivities of reducing Christ to lesser importance. And isn't that behavior relevant today? Aren't we in a time when the surroundings could cause us to be distracted from the will of God? Is it God's will that we conform to the pattern of this world? Is it his will that we have strife and hate towards one another? Is it his will that we riot and destroy? Is it God's will that we follow the claims of the news feeds is it God's will that we neglect our moral values to do justice, which simply means to do what is right? 
Is it God's will that we chase down every fad and follow every gimmick promoted by social media, multimedia platforms, music, TV, and entertainment shows that are clearly contrary to the will of God? Is that his will? Is it his will that we hold on to old traditions? Is it God's will that there be a decline of biblical knowledge, and there I say, even in the church? Is it God's will that we believe more in one's self-truth rather than the ultimate objective truth, that is, of God and his word? And is it God's will that we sit around and debate data and statistics, or is it God's will that we pursue peace, love, and unity, regardless of how we got here? Harvest. What other time than the present are we in need of the knowledge of the will of God? And with everything that's going on in our world today, we need to know what God's will is. Can I tell you what I think it is? Not an expert. But I believe it is God's will that we pray. I believe God is challenging us to be a church, the prayers of thanksgiving and petition and supplication. I don't think it's a mistake that we're in a pandemic. I don't think it's a mistake that people are fighting with each other right now. It's amazing to me that you can turn it on every channel and everyone seems to have the answers. Three ways to do this, seven steps to take to get to a resolution but I disagree. There's only one person who knows the answer. And the only way we ought to find that answer as believers is when we go to God on bended knee in prayer. You know, in many ways, I'm thankful for the pandemic because it challenged people like myself as a pastor, as an elder, to fall on my knees in prayer. Because I realized my wife needs me. My children need me. They're depending on me. My friends and family, they're depending on me. They know me as the believer. And I believe God is challenging the church today to move out of our seats of comfort and onto our face in prayer. You know what the world needs today? They need leadership that is gospel-centered. They need believers who have a gospel-centered prayer life. God is challenging you to pray. Maybe it might be too much for some of us, but I ain't too cute to get on my face in prayer. And if you're for real about it, sometimes you're going to get up wiping your face because you got stuff everywhere because there's something about going to God in prayer. Jamie mentioned last week that sometimes it's awkward when you're trying to build that rhythm, but I tell you, once you get that rhythm, you're kicking the door down trying to get to that time in prayer with the Lord. Because these are times where praying and spending time with him, maybe he says something, maybe he doesn't. It's just the thought of being there with him. God, what do you have to say about what's going on? Our prayer lives 
of being challenged. Paul is praying for this church that they receive this knowledge. We must be careful within how we pray. And I don't mean prayers that are selfish, like God, do this or that for me. It's not about us getting God to do what we want from him, but about us conforming to his will. As a matter of fact, that is what we believe as a church here at Harvest, because prayer is one of our core values. Let me read to you one of the bullet points from prayer according to our standards as a body here at Harvest. It says, we believe prayer is our great privilege as children of God. We believe prayer not only allows us to lay our hearts at the very throne room of God, but allows God a special fluidity to bend our will to his. Did you catch that? We said that through this relationship, it allows God a special fluidity to bend our will to his. Thus, we believe prayer is vital to our growth and humility in Christ, end quote. We can stand firm in that. This is God's will, that he fill us with the knowledge of his will through spiritual understanding, through prayer. And when preparing for this text, I was just reminded of my own childhood. I told you I have a thousand stories and just sitting there thinking, it dawned on me. I remember my mother used to have prayer sessions when we were kids. And we lived in apartments, and so whenever she had prayer sessions, my mom was really loud, so guess what? Everybody knew we were praying. <laughs> and so my mom would have these prayer sessions, and we knew it was coming. My brother Anthony and my sister, we knew it was coming. She would start praying, and every once in a while, she would open up the door, and she'd start inviting our friends in. And we're like... And she was so serious about this prayer, she would invite our friends in, and I would tell you my friends have many different nicknames, so when I name them, please... That's just the way it was. But she would look outside, and these friends, we were here as we we're praying, were laughing and, and, and making jokes that we were inside praying, and she would open up the door, Donnell, come on in here. Carlos, come on in here. Big Tony, Lil Terry, Baby Said, Steve, all of y'all, come on in here. Miss Jones finna pray for y'all. And they went from riding bikes and playing and kicking it to going in the house disappointed and frustrated. Oh, but 10 minutes later, she would have these friends of mine on their knees crying out to God in prayer. And we would be crying out together in prayer. And she would often remind us, twins, you don't know what your friends are going through. So never be ashamed to pray for them. And she would catch us every day before we left the house grab us by the shoulders, offering us this statement every single time. She would look us in the eye and she would say, don't forget who you are. When you leave this house, whether for school or play, don't you ever forget who you are. You are a child of God. Act like it. So whenever she would sense that we lost a step in our character. 
She will pull us to the side and ask us questions such as, do you think God is pleased with what you did today? Did you consider Jesus' feelings after the choice you made? As a result of what you did, what about your gospel witness? Could it now be compromised? My mom had a will, and her will for her kids was that we were children who lived our lives pleasing to the Lord. And some of you may be thinking there's a lot of pressure for kids. You may be right. I don't know. But we accepted the challenge. I accepted the challenge. You know why? I wanted to please him. Even as a kid, I wanted God to be pleasing with everything I did. So she taught these lessons to us. And I want to let you in on a little secret. Only if you promise not to tell anyone unless you really want them to know this about me. You know what that secret is? I want the same thing for my four children. I want the same thing for my wife. My prayer is that we are a family who lives our lives pleasing to the Lord. I don't want to go out and forget who I am in Christ. My mom lived out Paul's scripture about not being ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she put it in us too. So Ephesians 5, 16 through 17 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So secondly, the Apostle Paul prays that they walk worthy of the Lord. See, the more we are being filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, the more he is revealed. And this revelation of the knowledge of God perpetuates a walk that is worthy of the Lord. And so verse 10 gives us the second part of Paul's prayer that the church would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. So to walk with God, you must understand, is a faith walk. It is to be in relationship with him, and not just any relationship, but a committed one. The prophet Amos once asked a, a great question that I think is relevant to our text today. He asked in Amos 3, verse 3, how can two walk together unless they agree? See, to be in relationship with someone is to be in agreement with them, let alone to be in relationship with Christ. Relationship is about trust and commitment and communication and faithfulness. Come on, married people. Y'all know what it is to be in relationship. You remember those vows that we committed to before God and witnesses, that we will be committed to this person for better or for worse. So you may 
having your own imaginations that there will be sunny days with flowers blooming, clear blue skies. There won't always be days where you and your, your spouse will be running in slow motion towards one another. There are going to be some days where the skies are gray and dark and cloudy and there's frustration and there's a breach in communication and you have to work through it. You have to persevere through those challenges to work through the end, to be committed, to remain faithful because to be in relationship with one that's greater than the one you have in your spouse is their relationship in Christ and their relationship is about faithfulness. This is how we walk worthy of the Lord, when you are faithful to Him. This pleases the Lord because without faith, it is impossible to do what? Please the Lord. So we please Him by our faithfulness to Him. And according to Amos, we please Him by going in the same direction as Him. My wife, whenever she wants to test me, she would leave a big pile of dishes in the sink. She knows I despise the dishes. Or there would be times where there are more than one bag of garbage laying on the side. So what I'd do is I would bust those suds. Y'all know what that means, right? I would bust the suds. It would be soap everywhere, but I would try to get those dishes done. And when she would come in the kitchen and say stuff like, you look so good the way you wash those dishes. I'm like, where the rest of the dirty stuff at? I would empty the garbage, and she was like, babe, you look so strong the way you emptied that garbage. I was like, give me 10 more bags. Come on, boys, let's go empty the neighbor's garbage, everybody's garbage we can find. You know why I did that? Because I wanted to please my wife. I looked for any reason to please my wife. And in a greater way, we should look for any reason to please the Lord any reason to please Him. The same gratification we feel is the one we want to provide when we make God feel the same way about our service to Him in the way we walk worthy, worthy of Him. So when we walk with the Lord, it results in spiritual growth. Hebrews 13, 20, 21 says, May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. Because a person who is growing in their walk with the Lord has the evidence of bearing fruit. In verse 10b, bearing fruit and growing is a reiteration from verse 6. In the same way that the gospel bears fruit and grows around the world, Paul expects that the Colossian believers would bear fruit and grow in good works and knowledge of God. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 11, walking worthy of the Lord also means being strengthened with all power. The Colossians will be strengthened according to his glorious might. In simple terms, they will receive power. Or in better terms, when we walk with him, 
we receive power. Stressing the fact that the believer's power comes from God and is consistent with God's power. Accompanied with endurance and patience in order for us to do God's will. We need this endurance. We need this patience. The purpose for this strengthening is so that we won't quit. We're all tempted to quit. In verse 11b, Paul fully expects the Colossian church to persevere in faith, not fall and pray to either the heresy that threatens the church or any possible persecution associated with the faithfulness to Christ. Not only are the Colossians to endure, but they are to do so with joy. This is a distinction of Christian perseverance. This joyful perseverance is enabled only by the empowering work of God. And it then lends you towards what I like to call an attitude of gratitude. So point number three, Paul prays that this church would be grateful. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 12b through 14 is the first of three reasons for which the Colossians should give thanks to God. God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So Paul uses inheritance as a reference to the Septuagint in the promised land. And this is a reference to the new creation in Christ, the believer's promised land. So when you pray, be grateful. And looking back on the entirety of this text, beginning at verse 3, we should be thankful, offering prayers of thanksgiving for what he has already done, verses 3 through 8, with faith, hope, and love. Praying specifically through verses 9 and 11 for his will, for wisdom and knowledge and for a worthy walk. And then praying with confidence, thanking him once more for what he has done and now what he is doing in you. And according to verse 12b, he has now qualified you. What does it mean to be qualified? Well, according to the English dictionary, to be qualified means that you are certified, fit, prepared, competent. And that's good. But the biblical definition of qualification says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So when you have received Jesus Christ by grace through faith, you have been saved, declared righteous, or qualified. We are qualified to share in the inheritance with the saints. And in the King James Version in this same text, it says, he hath made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. But I love the NLT version in this same verse because it personalizes this verse when it says, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people 
who live in the light. So we have this great inheritance that we've been qualified for, an inheritance that secures our place in heaven for all eternity together in relationship with Jesus Christ, our loving Savior and King. Once we have shared this joy with Jesus, there's something that moves in us to want to share this joy with others. And we experience rewards when we share Christ with others and we see this person be converted. And we know then that they have now entered into this inheritance with Christ and that brings us joy. Or when we enter in disciple-making relationships with a person and we see those persons come to Christ and they grow and mature in their faith and we share this inheritance with them as well because they have now been made qualified. But wait a minute. Looking at verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 12 says that we have been qualified. Verse 13 is a reminder that once upon a time we were not qualified. It says that he has delivered you from the domain of darkness, which means that when you were living a life of sin, we had no inheritance with him. Our only destination was hell. So to be unqualified is to realize that there was a time we were not fit or competent because we were in our sin. And that even then, there was nothing we could do to make ourselves fit. The Bible says that we were children of wrath. Here in verse 13, God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son, His beloved Son. Here is why we should be grateful. We should be grateful for the transfer of our spiritual citizenship as believers from Satan's dark kingdom and into Jesus' kingdom of light, the Son of God. Verse 14, it says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We should also be grateful because we have been redeemed. Because our sins are forgiven. And to have one's sins forgiven gives the believer the attitude of gratefulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. I have one last question. Why did Paul take the time to write this letter to this small, insignificant, unnoticed church? I believe Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 answers that says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. But I love the second half of that verse and the way the King James Version says it when it says, 
He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. He did it all for his good pleasure. And so Paul is writing this letter to this church because it pleased him to do so. But more than that, it pleased God. Harvest, may we be a praying church. May we be a, a church that offer prayers of petition and supplication and thanksgiving. May we accept the mantle that at such a time as this, the world needs gospel leadership. Believers with a Christ-centered prayer life. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and the truth of your word. Father, I pray that we will be moved in our hearts to be the kind of people that walk worthy of you. And that we live our lives to please you. I pray, Lord, that you will fill us with the knowledge of your will that only the Spirit reveals. And I pray that you will stir in us a heart of thanksgiving, thankful that you have called us out from darkness and into your marvelous light. So wherever there is darkness and sin, I pray that you will send us so that your light will go with us. For the many people that we don't know, I pray that we pray for them. For those who we've had different assumptions over, I pray that you remind us that people are going through all types of things and that we should pray. Before we leave this place, I pray that you would have stirred our hearts in such a way that our affection towards you has been magnified. And I pray that when we leave this place, that we don't forget who we are and that we should act like it. We believe that to be so. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Every heart that believes it, say amen.